0: And we'll actually see in today's text the church's ministry reaching out into the Judean countryside. And then beginning in chapter 8, we'll see the ministry heading into Samaria and from there to the ends of the earth. uh, Just like Jesus said it would. Uh, God's church is growing, expanding. And while that's exciting in the book of Acts, we've also got to realize it's serious. Uh, Just last week, Adam preached through a not-so-encouraging passage. Not to say his message wasn't encouraging. It was. But the passage, if we read about Ananias and Sapphira, that's just not a lot of encouragement there. Um, But the big takeaway was that the purity of God's church matters. Even as it expands and grows and brings in more people, the purity matters. Matters, And what we saw in that text and what we see even to in 2020 is that the purity of God's church is under attack through hypocrisy and lies. The enemy is attacking different individuals, you guys, every day and every week. He's attacking your families. He's attacking the leadership of the church. He's attacking seminaries and institutions, Christian institutions. So we must be vigilant to remain pure. And we know we do this by abiding in Christ. You don't remain pure by focusing on purity. You remain pure by abiding in Christ. Uh, But today, our text, where we're at, gives us some great encouragement, hopefully along with some great conviction. And this uh, message today, you'll see I'm really passionate about. Um, We're talking about God's mission moving forward, and, uh, and that gets me excited. So, We've got a whole lot to cover, so let's not waste any more time. Let's jump in. Acts 5, verse 12. Read with me. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. that as Peter came by; at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns of Jerusalem around Jerusalem, uh, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him—that is, the party of the Sadducees—were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles. ...and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out... ...and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council... ...all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came... They did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what would this come to. Someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. But a Pharisee in the council, named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, "Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before the days, for before these days, Thaddaeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed." And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God... You will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Lord, we need your help this morning. We need your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see, to change our hearts, to meditate and drink deeply of your word in a way that transforms us. So would you do that, God, this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So another big chunk of text, another narrative in Acts as we dive in, and uh, as we get started, I just want to pose a question to you. And the question is, was Jesus' mission stoppable? Like when the Son of God was born into the world, was it possible that he not complete his task is that possible could he fail (laughs) answer burton's got it no he could not fail there was no failing his father would not allow him to fail his father would see to it that he succeeded just the way he desired making jesus's mission unstoppable And that's the title of our sermon this morning is Mission Unstoppable, if you're taking notes. What we have in the book of Acts then is the continuation of the carrying out of Jesus' mission. Jesus' followers are carrying out just what he told them to. And this only makes sense seeing as how they've been given his spirit, empowered to do this. And according to Colossians 1.24 Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, seeing to it that his life and death and resurrection be told about to the ends of the earth, that many will have life in his name. So, this then leads us to a second question, which is Is the mission that his disciples, his apostles, us, is this mission able to fail? Is this mission able to be stopped? And the answer, again, is no. No, as long as Jesus' mission remains their mission, as long as his mission remains our mission, the mission is unstoppable. Victory is imminent. Defeat is impossible. And this is really good news for us, church. This should encourage us that no matter what happens, our God is working to accomplish his purposes. And that's exactly what we see in the text this morning. We see great power wielded by the apostles. We see harsh persecution against their ministry. We see bold proclamation in the face of danger. We see divine preservation even among seemingly inescapable Defeat, and we see praise in the midst of pain and suffering. That's what we see. In 1996, a movie came out called Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise plays an undercover agent who is given an impossible task. But after two hours of high-speed chases and twists and turns, lots of bullets flying, several close calls and near misses... He accomplishes his mission and saves the day. The same storyline has been used six different times in six different Mission Impossible movies, making over three and a half billion dollars. People love to see it. They love to see a mission accomplished, especially one that seems impossible. They love to see a mission accomplished, that seems impossible. If you've ever seen one of these movies, then you know that they will keep you on the edge of your seat. Sometimes things uh, get sad. Sometimes things get scary. Other times make you a little anxious about what's happening. But when you go to one of these movies, that's what you expect. You expect many twists and turns, dangerous moments, and lots of opposition. So it's not surprising when three-quarters of the way through the movie, something happens that makes everything seem hopeless, it just adds to the anticipation of what you know is coming, right? Now, our lives don't resemble Mission Impossible. At least mine doesn't. I don't know what you do for a living. Um, In fact, my life, if you were to film it over the last week, probably looks like some weird show you'd find on TLC. But the point I'm trying to get across is that we should approach life more like Mission Impossible. More like we approach sitting down and watching this type of movie. And I know this may sound ridiculous to some of you. You're thinking, oh my. But let me try and explain. If you have been called by God and submitted to yourself to the lordship of Christ, then you are a part of his Mission unstoppable. It's what you've become a part of. Your story is no longer about you. You are a part of a much bigger story and mission. That means the hurt, the pain, the wins, the losses, the highs, the lows, and everything in between is a part of this mission. Everything in your life serves a purpose. And you will make it to the end. Even when life seems to throw so much at us that we can barely keep our head above water, as a Christian, it's imperative that you see your life as mission unstoppable. God saved you to use you to carry out his mission to the world. And there is nothing in your life, Christian, that is insignificant or that doesn't matter. But it also means that with everything you do in life or every circumstance you find yourself in, there is a much greater purpose that you need to be aware of. And that much greater purpose is how this or that relates to the mission. Many of us are very task-oriented people. We like a schedule. We like to be productive. We like to finish things. But too often, our task-oriented nature causes us to lose sight of the purpose behind the task, the greater purpose, the missional purpose behind the task. You know, I can get so carried away in remodeling a home that in all these conversations I have with my contractor, I forget that I'm to be a witness to him about Christ. We can get so busy and in a hurry raising children, getting them to that place or this place, making sure they're making good grades, making sure they're getting into college, that we forget that we are to be equipping them for their role in God's mission. We can get so consumed with how we're feeling sometimes, whether it be hurt or loneliness Sadness that we forget that God wants to use this very stuff to advance his kingdom. As Casey and I were chatting about this text and this sermon this week, we both felt under conviction that the majority of our life is currently more task-oriented than mission-focused. So we began repenting together. And I'm sure we'll have to continue repenting. And I would encourage you, if as I'm talking about this today, you feel the same way, I would encourage you repent. Ask God to change your heart and change your mind. And there's no need to feel like, oh, I'm so guilty, because we all do this and we are guilty. But the blood of Christ atones for our guilt. And the scriptures say that if we say we have no sin, then we don't belong to Christ. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Now, there's countless problems with not being mission focused or not seeing all of life in the context of God's mission. But uh, two, I think, are very important. And I'm going to hit these quick. Number one is that God's glory gets put on the back burner. See, God cares about his mission. He cares about the people that he died to save. He's called you and I to be his witnesses in our short time here on this earth. And then he's promised to take us to a home, a lasting home, an eternal home, where we will live perfectly forever. How silly is it then that we spend the majority of our time. Building earthly kingdoms that will pass away, that moth and rust will destroy. Does't make sense. The second problem with not being mission-focused is that you spend most of your life reacting wrongly to all that happens to you. Listen to what I'm saying. You don't see your problems as opportunities for God to show his incredible power, but rather you see them as annoyances. You're frustrated by them, and you think, why me? And then you spend all your time trying to fix the problem or escape the problem, which the problem was brought in there by God to be used for his mission. You miss the point. But these problems are for very specific purposes. You also end up mistaking burdens with blessings, burdens as blessings. You think, man, if I had money or affluence or a busy schedule, and then you get those things and you realize this is just heavier. (laughs) But when we become mission-focused, God's glory is on the front burner right where it belongs. And we begin to see and understand clearly the problems, blessings, and opportunities that come into our life. This is the way the Christian was meant to live. You know, I was was listening to a garbage song on the way in this morning. (laughs) I'm not confessing sin. My radio was on a Christian radio station. But the song was garbage. The reason it was garbage was that it said, uh, it basically talked about all that we go through in life and how it's just bad, it's awful. And and then the chorus said, but it's going to get better. (laughs) I say this song is garbage because it's not true for the Christian. It's not true. We have no promises from God that tell us Our life here on this earth is going to get better. We just don't have them. In fact, when Christ called us to himself, he called us to count the cost and take up our cross and be ready to suffer as he suffered. Following his way is the path less traveled. And our lives may be full of misery for all our days here on this earth. But don't forget The ending. This is mission unstoppable. We will make it to the throne room of heaven, rejoicing and singing forevermore. How great is our God! And on that day, everything will be perfect. No more sorrow, no more pain. Knowing this should drive you to continue in the faith. Continue playing your part in God's mission even through the pain. It should drive you to see all of your life as pertaining to God's mission, not being discouraged by anything, but in everything, anticipating how God will use this or that to advance his kingdom. Well, that was my introduction. You might think that was a long introduction, but I think it's important that you hear all of that before we go to the text, because if you don't hear that, then what we're going to look at in the text this morning really won't sit as well. For this morning's message, I want us to quickly walk through the text and observe five aspects of Mission Unstoppable, because that's what we're seeing played out. Now, I struggled what to call these. I ended up calling them aspects, but in a way, they're marks of mission. In some ways, they are evidences of mission. But the question I want you to, to ponder as we walk through these five things is how is this aspect evident in my life? Is it evident in my life? And I want you to be honest. So let's get to them. If you look at your text, verse 12. The first one we see in the text is power. Power is what we see. The apostles had power. Power is the necessary advantage for mission. The apostles had incredible power. The text tells us that everyone held them in high esteem. They were performing many signs and wonders. The text says that everyone was being healed. And all of this power was pointing people to the validity of Jesus as God. This power was coming through his name. But I want to to get you thinking for a second. What if there was no power? Like, what if this passage of Scripture actually said, and there the apostles were, kind of odd men, not doing a whole lot, kept to themselves, and not much was happening in their ministry. <laughs> like That's a little like, okay. But it's convicting because I think about my life sometimes and I don't, I don't, I don't get this same deal. And so I want to ask us the question, why don't we see this kind of power that the apostles are experiencing and wielding? in the mission of God. Why don't we see that kind of power today? More than the debatable question of uh, did the miraculous gifts continue on, I'm not talking about that. I'm asking, why are not all ordinary Christians known as people of great spiritual power? Why? I bet you probably know someone in your life who you would consider to have great spiritual power. You know, if there is ever any tragic circumstance, or if I'm ever dealing with something tough, the first person I call is my mom. And this isn't because I'm a mama's boy. If you know our family, you know that's Tyler, but (laughs) it's my mom. It's because my mom's prayers are powerful. They're powerful. Now, I know the Lord listens to her, And I'm not saying that he doesn't listen to you, but in my life, time and time again, I've watched my mom cry out to God to do something, and he's done it. He listens to her, and he acts powerfully when she asks him to. So are you known as a person of great spiritual power? (laughs) If God has placed his spirit inside of you, Christian, then you have more power in you Than in this whole world. And his power will look different in all of us. But we won't experience it if we don't press in. And grow in Christ. And allow his power to well up in us. And be used. We won't be maximally used in his mission. Moving on from power. The second aspect is persecution. Persecution is the context of mission. Does that make sense? If you're going to be on mission, your context is going to be persecution. Now, you might think that persecution is the opposition to mission, and you would be right. But all throughout church history, and especially the book of Acts, what we see is that when persecution comes against the church, the church grows. And the church flourishes under persecution. Most of the greatest times of the expansion of the church in history is under times of intense persecution. Even right now, Chinese Christians are multiplying under an oppressive anti-Christian regime. Revival is happening in Iran where being a Christian could cost you your life. But I want you to see the specific persecution in this passage. The apostles' lives were at stake. They had no religious freedoms like we enjoy. They were straight up taken off the streets and thrown into jail because what they were saying didn't jive with the people in charge. Verse 17 tells us that the high priest and all who were with him were what? Filled with jealousy. Now, if we look back at their first run-in, back in chapter 3 with the healing of the lame man, uh, there the religious leaders, we read, were greatly annoyed. So you see the progression? Greatly annoyed. Now they are uh, uh, filled with jealousy. And then look to verse 33. After hearing from the apostles... They are enraged and wanting to kill them. And we know this progression will continue up until chapter 7 where we see the first Christian martyr. They do kill them. Stephen. So the apostles are under fierce persecution at the hands of powerful persecutors. Church, here's a true statement for us. If you preach the gospel regularly you will be persecuted. That's a true statement. In America, in this moment, the persecution may not look like it did right here in chapter 5, but nonetheless, you will receive it. I remember when I just began really obeying Christ and faithfully walking with Him. We were on vacation with my family, and we were sitting around, and I brought up the gospel And uh, we began talking about it. And I'll never forget how mad it made my lost brother that we were on vacation talking about the gospel. He got up mad, and as he left the room in an effort to belittle me, he declared, you'll come off this high. And that hurt. For my brother to dislike me and not want to be around me and throw insults, That that my faith, everything I clung to, was a high. It wasn't enjoyable. But I'm thankful to God that I still haven't come off this high. (laughs) And I'm also thankful that now he has gotten on this high with me. (laughs) But the question to you and I this morning is, are we being persecuted? And if the answer is no, then got to ask the next question, are you being faithful to proclaim? I'm not talking about loving people well. I'm talking about calling people to repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus. And that's the third aspect of Mission Unstoppable, proclamation. Proclamation is the substance of mission. It's the substance. Without it, you don't have mission. Uh, you, you have mercy ministry. You have something else, but you don't have mission. Now, we've talked a lot about, a lot about proclamation in the book of Acts when it comes to declaring the gospel boldly. But I want to look at it from a different angle this morning. In verse 29, look at verse 29. After Peter and the apostles have been taken in and questioned about why they are directly disobeying the orders that have been given to them, they respond with this statement. We must obey God rather than men. So let me help you think about this rightly, church. If your employer tells you that you're not allowed To talk about Jesus or proselytize while you are on the job, whether you work at a school, government office, or factory, will you submit to that order? What if it costs you your livelihood? This is where we must take seriously our command from our Lord Jesus to be his witnesses To the ends of the earth. You know, I've seen many missionaries who won't share the gospel in certain places because it could cost them their visa or blow their cover or in some places possibly cost them their life. But is this acceptable? Like, is this okay to remain silent? Now, understand there is a thing called strategy. You know, to roll up in Somalia or Yemen rocking a Jesus t-shirt, handing out gospel tracts may not be the best strategy. But for us and for foreign missionaries, we must always be asking the question of, am I taking a Holy Spirit-led strategic approach or am I being disobedient? the fourth aspect we see is preservation. Preservation. At this point, Aaron has realized that all of these are (laughs) peas. Preservation is our confidence in mission. It's our confidence. And this one is a glorious one. We see this in two places in our text. First at verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. (laughs) The rulers put them in jail. And what does God do? Set them free. Set them free. I mean, I I just have to admit that if I was preaching with the apostles and we got thrown into jail, I'm just going to despair a little bit. Like, this is the end of our ministry. Things were going so great, and now we're in jail. We can't do much from a jail cell. But I bet they didn't. (laughs) They had confidence in God preserving them. Again, we see God's hand in preserving his apostles through a man named Gamaliel. You know, if you don't know that this, this guy is actually Paul's, the, uh, the apostle's mentor. Beginning in verse 35, he speaks up and reminds them about random people who tried to begin a revolution and it failed. And in verse 39, check out what he says. So, that in this present case, I tell you keep away from these men and let them alone. (laughs) I hope we see how wild this is. One of the men who is greatly annoyed with the apostles, angry enough that he wants to kill them, speaks up and says, let's leave them alone. Church, the scriptures say that The king's heart is like streams of water in his hand. He directs them. And that's exactly what we see this morning right here from Gamaliel. So going back to our question at the very beginning of this message, could Jesus fail? No. Why not? Because his father was preserving his life until just the right moment. And that's what we see playing out in the apostle's life. And listen, church, the same is true for you and I. For those who have been adopted and called by his name, we have a guarantee that we will be preserved until he has utilized us as he wants to in his mission. (laughs) Consider yourself invincible, some of you think. And this is why I say that, because I don't think we have a tendency to go that route. I think we have a tendency to sit more on self-preservation. And you know, self-preservation is one of the most dangerous things for your spiritual life. This is a mentality that you must preserve yourself by choosing a career, investing well, playing it safe, not taking risk in life. The big idea behind self-preservation is that only you control your destiny. And this is total garbage. Ask Job. God has specific purposes for our lives, and you can consider yourself invincible until he's accomplished what he wants through you. Now, is this a call to live like a fool? I know some of you older people are thinking, don't tell our young people to act invincible. They already do that. No, it's not a call to act like a fool, but I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to say. It is a call to let the Holy Spirit lead you and have wise counsel in your life to tell you if you're becoming unwise rather than from the jump set out wisdom borders That you won't ever cross. The latter perspective is the best way to be ineffective for the kingdom. And effectively sideline yourself to what God is doing right here, right now. The last aspect of Mission Unstoppable is praise. (laughs) Praise is the fuel for mission. But it's also the goal of mission. After being beaten and threatened, verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Really. These guys get beat, almost lose their lives. They are threatened to never carry out their ministry again. And they leave rejoicing. If we're honest, this sounds insane. They're rejoicing because they're counted worthy to suffer for the name. This is beyond our perspective in Americanized Christianity. But I truly believe the reason is, is because we've forgotten that this is not our home, church. Like we are pilgrims passing through with a very specific mission. Be witnesses for our Lord and Savior, calling all of his lost sheep home until he returns. We are able to rejoice even in our sufferings because our mission, what we've been called to do, is unstoppable. So I want to ask you, when is the last time you rejoiced during a moment of suffering? Have you ever rejoiced in suffering? This is what makes us distinctly different from the rest of the world. We know our king has already accomplished everything necessary to save us and bring us home forever. This means that we're able to live with joy in every single circumstance. Our perspective of Mission Unstoppable reminds us that no matter what it is, it will be used to accomplish His will, and therefore, church, we can rejoice. This also allows us to stop being so overly concerned with our own personal affairs and letting them dictate how we're doing We are people who have built our life on the rock and will not be shaken. Our life, now and forever, is all about worship. John Piper says in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, that missions exist because worship doesn't. Our God is worthy of worship. That's what rejoicing is. It's worship. And we have all been called by grace to be a part of seeing to it that all the peoples worship, rejoice in the one true King. And it's this worship church, it's this rejoicing that will propel us forward to that task. So brothers and sisters, please, let Mission Unstoppable be your everything. Don't fit the mission into your life, but rather build your life around the mission. That's the only way life will make sense. That's the only way you'll receive power from on high. It's the only way you'll experience pain and beauty and suffering for Christ It's the only way that proclaiming the gospel will make up your everyday speech and not just something you do very randomly and not very often. It's the only way to live freely in this life and not worry all the time about what's around the corner. And it's the only way you will be a person who praises God even though he slay you. I want to close by reading a poem by C.T. Studd. I'm sure many of you have heard before. But man, it's so good. Two little lines I heard one day. Traveling along life's busy way. Bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a brief few years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays, I must fulfill living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, When Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true whate'er the strife pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. (laughs) Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "'Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last." Church, I pray that we as a body, we together, would all have this mind of mission, Carrying out what God has told us to do, which is to make His name known among the nations. And I promise you, as insignificant as your day will seem to begin tomorrow, as your alarm clock goes off at the same time it always does, as you get ready to go to the place you always go. It is not insignificant. It matters. It's part of the mission. So wake up and have that on your mind. Lord, help me be faithful to your mission in everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for the time that I've got to spend in your word this morning, God, and what you've taught me. And God, I pray that that what you you show me and you awaken my heart to a reminder this week God that you have used that to help, to encourage and exhort your body this morning from your word Lord I pray that we would be faithful to what you've called us to help us be there for each other to remind each other Encourage each other to continue on in your mission unstoppable. We love you, Lord. And we pray now as we leave, you would help us to see your mission clearly in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, church. I know that was a little long this morning, but I, I pray that it was edifying and encouraging. Adam, do we have any announcements? No? Okay. Uh, we have nothing to tell you, um, <laughs> but we will be here uh, this week. Uh, I feel so bad for Adam. Adam is such an awesome guy. He has held down the fort. Uh, he has been our our, our rock <laughs> in 2020, as I've been out so much with all kinds of things. John Holder was reminding me earlier that uh, he was checking some boxes of like big life events uh, on a survey or something. He's like, I thought of you because I thought you could check all those boxes. And so it's been, it's been quite the ride for us. But thank you, Adam, for holding down everything. And, and I'll be back in the office with Adam this week. And uh, thank you for our prayers. Our, our, our new little baby's doing good. Uh, he's rocking along. I've told some of you had a little case of jaundice, but they said that's going to be just fine. And so mama's doing well, baby's doing well, so thank you for your prayers for us. And uh, please let us know how we can pray for you. I'll be texting some of you this week to find that out, and I'm sure Adam will too, as he always does. And so we love you. Uh, Grace Fellowship, thank you for being here. See you soon.